So Hearst, which is the parent company of Popular Mechanics, recently bought Rodale, which publishes magazines like Bicycling, Men's and Women's Health, and Runner's World. The upshot of this is that suddenly there are all these super fit athletes wandering around our office, presumably looking for pull-up bars? Kevin Dupsick, who is a frequent guest on this podcast, described one of them as looking the most like an upside-down triangle of any human he'd ever met. Around the same time, I started working on a story comparing the experience of indoor and outdoor skydiving. Is it true that falling through the sky at 100 or so miles per hour feels anything like floating in a wind tunnel? Spoiler alert, kind of does. To do that story, we recruited Red Bull skydiver Jeff Provenzano, who has done insane things like fly over New York City in a wingsuit and land a skydive on a moving jet ski. Jeff showed me around a wind tunnel and eventually strapped me to his stomach and hurled us both out of a perfectly good airplane. So for this week's episode, we figured we'd take a hint from everything that's been going on and give you all some tips on extreme sports. First, we talked to Jeff Propenzano on his way home from a drop zone. Then, tech editor and former surf instructor Alex George gives us a primer on getting started in surfing. And crazy fit popular mechanics editor Matt Allen tests some new gear on an ultra trail race. We even put together a primer on the upcoming Summer X Games so you know when to show up for the coolest events. Hint, you can always count on motocross. Bust out your Red Bull and stop being such a wuss, y'all. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. Extreme Edition. So first of all, I should just introduce you. You are Jeff Provenzano, who is a professional skydiver who works with the military and also movies in Hollywood and is a member of the Red Bull Air Force and also strapped me to you and threw me out of a plane last week, which I'm glad went <laughs> with, well. With permission. With permission, <laughs> which went very well. And I had a really great time. So thanks for not killing us. No problem. Where are you right now? I am in Houston, Texas, driving through a massive rainstorm at the moment. Were you skydiving before this? Yeah, and beautiful white clouds, like awesome, amazing. We were, we were jumping like through some of them, next to some of them. It's pretty cool. What does it feel like to go through the cloud? Do you feel the moisture? Yeah, you feel moisture sometimes, maybe a little bit of a temperature change, and sometimes it hurts if there's a lot of rain or there can be ice or moisture in the cloud. Hitting raindrops at 120, 150 miles an hour doesn't feel that great. Yeah, that sounds like it would hurt. That's <laughs> a lot. crazy. Yeah. First of all, can I just ask, how does the parachute work? Can you explain like <laughs> how safe that is and how that works in the way it opens? Okay, so basically, I mean, it's a wing. At the end of the day, it's an inflatable wing, and it fills up with air. It's, it's a ram air wing, so basically the leading edge of the wing has inlets where air goes in, and then it pressurizes and fills up the parachute and gives it three-dimensional shape. So it literally becomes a wing just like an aircraft, so it, it can create lift just the same way as a, an airplane wing would. I remember you telling me there's two chutes in your bag, basically. Uh-huh. And you like all these different levers. Yes. The tandem system is a little bit different. But typically, you have three handles. You have your main parachute deployment handle. Then you have a cutaway for the main parachute. So if there's any malfunction or that parachute isn't whatever, you can't land it or you can't fly it. It's all spun up or it's knotted up, whatever it is. You can release that main parachute. And then you have your third handle, which is the reserve parachute handle that deploys the reserve parachute. That's it. You can't get rid of your reserve parachute. That's that, probably that good. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does it feel like to have to cut away from your main parachute? I mean, is it terrifying? Oh, it depends on the kind of like bad parachute you're cutting away from. Sometimes bad parachutes can be spinning you very violently. So you're like the ball at the end of a string and you might start feeling a lot of G-forces, a lot of blood going to your feet and almost very difficult to even lift your arms up to reach the handle because you're spinning so 
hard. You know, your arm is like four or five times the weight, so you're like really struggling to reach up to grab the handle to the cut away from. Um, and that's like a little bit more of a violent type of cutaway from a main parachute. And then when you do that, yeah, you're just ragdolling away because you don't have enough wind speed to actually fly your body yet until you start to accelerate again and pick up some free fall speed, and then you can kind of control your body and fly again. Okay. And then other ones, like a more mellow one. I just had one here the other day, actually, a cutaway on my really? parachute. Yeah, it was pretty mellow. I was able to control it. It was a stable canopy, but it couldn't land it. So basically, when I cut away from that, it felt like a little base jump because I'm going relatively slow on that parachute. I'm going 25, 35 miles an hour in its neutral speed, and I cut away, and it just felt like, you know, you just jumped off of a cliff into the water. So this all sounds very scary, but I had a really good time, and I know you really like it too. So can you describe what's awesome about skydiving or why people love it? I think people love it for different reasons. I think I love it because of just the absolute freedom being in the sky, the overall being above the landscape of different places around the world. I remember after my first bat, I looked up at the sky and realized, like, oh, my God, that's a playground right up there. And now whenever I look up, I think that's someplace to go have a good time. I know you also do indoor skydiving competitions. If somebody's going to go do one of those things like at iFly or one of those sorts of places, do you have any tips for a first-timer? If you want to go skydiving, go skydiving. I mean, go do a tandem. You know, there's, you don't need any real training for that at all. But it's not necessary to go to the wind tunnel if you want to go do a tandem. If you're a little scared about skydiving and, you know, you don't want to take that risk, then the wind tunnel is eliminating 99% of the risk. But you're still getting sensation of what it feels like to have the wind on your body and what it feels like to control your body on the air. You don't have the visuals and you don't have the excitement of doing something that's defying, I guess, most people feel that they're doing something very big when they're doing their first skydive, you know. I don't feel like I'm doing a death-defying stunt every time I skydive. For me, it's very normal, but I think your first tandem, most people have that feeling. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. I mean, but yeah, I mean, do whatever floats your boat. Like, yeah, go to the tunnel and check it out. It's, it's super fun. And there you can learn a little bit more of flying your body in a little bit of a shorter time. Skydiving, you go beyond tandem. It just requires a lot more time and training and more money. <laughs> so what's the coolest jump you ever did? Well, I probably my first skydive, and then, to be honest, I mean, I have a lot of memorable jumps. 20,000 of them, that's almost like an impossible question. That's crazy, 20,000. Jumping over very memorable places, like my first jump over New York City always stands out, just because you don't get to jump over New York City. Right. It yeah. doesn't happen. Taking my mom on a tandem skydive, and my dad on a tandem skydive, you know, I don't think I'll ever forget that. I know you said that almost anybody can do a tandem skydive, but is there anything that, like, you really should not do when you're doing a tandem skydive or any, like, horror stories that you have where you were like, this is terrible, I should not take this person skydiving with me? There's, like, some serious medical concerns, like maybe you should go check with your doctor, talk to the tandem skydiving center that you're going to go, and just uh, let them know what's up. You know, you'd be surprised, though, like, I've taken a lot of paraplegics and those other types of so, you know, some things that you think would prevent you wouldn't, and some things that would, you'd be surprised. Well, thank you, Jeff, for talking to us about all this. And, and thank for you. taking You're welcome. Welcome. Thank you for keeping <laughs> me alive. <laughs> yeah, that was super fun. If you want to do the neck death, we'll get you with your own parachute on your back. Oh and, um, <laughs> I don't know about that. What would you need to do to prepare to go alone? I recommend just like one tandem jump. 
it's kind of good enough that you get the idea of like, hey, I like this interest. Yeah. And then you do some wind tunnel time, tunnel time training in there, and then, you know, not even much, 10, 20 minutes of tunnel, and then a little ground school, about five hours of ground school, and uh, throw a rig on you and throw you out of a plane. Wow. Wow. As a student, you want to go into it thinking that it's on you. Yeah. Anything can happen. Whatever, the instructor could have lost you. Something happened to the instructor, so now it is on you. But in reality, there's two instructors next to you on your first jump that would be able to have an opportunity to open a parachute for you. Wow. Jackie's in. I don't know. I I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, awesome. That was an amazing experience, and thank you for calling in. Awesome. You're welcome. We have with us in the studio Brett Williams, who is the digital fitness editor at Men's Health, which is very recently a part of the Hearst family, which is what Popular Mechanics is. Welcome, Brett, to the podcast. Thank you. And to Hearst. And to Hearst. <laughs> Came up two floors to come talk to us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad to be here, especially as a former member of the Popular Mechanics team on the digital side. Oh. I used to be the Snapchat editor. No way. Yes. How recently? That was from December to... I think it was March when the channel actually shut down, but they're now posting things. Yeah, there have been things on, on the there channel. Lately. So check out Popular Mechanics <laughs> on Snapchat. Awesome. Well, welcome. And so, as a digital fitness editor, you look fit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what actually does that entail? Do you try things out? What do you do? Yeah, so I try things out. I write about workouts that you might want to go do personally. I write about moves, trends. If there's notable people who are doing workouts, we write about that. Basically, everything around fitness. What are the trends? <laughs> what should we, like, what should we, we be doing? doing? Yeah. yeah. Well, you should be doing something, right? And that's the great thing about, I think, the state of fitness right now is that it's opened up to be more inclusive. There's things for everyone to try out, whether you want to be the classic weight room type of person or if you want to find something that seems like just a fun adventure, but it turns out you're actually getting a workout in and sweating. It's a very rare person who can make themselves happy for a long period of time just doing a weight room workout out over and over and over again yeah you know you need to really know what you're doing for one but you also have to be willing to deal with plateaus in progress and long periods of time where it's just basically the same thing over and over it's repetition Mm -hmm. and some people can't do that and i can understand that i need to think that i'm getting stronger and then just be distracted enough for the hour that i get through it (laughs) that's fair okay So what we're seeing a lot now, especially, is all of these kind of boutique group fitness classes that are popping up. A lot of these fitness classes are based on the principles of what's called HIIT. It's H-I-I-T. Okay. And that stands for High Intensity Interval Training. Basically, what it means is that there are these short periods of intense activity. That's where the intense comes in. So you're working as hard as you possibly can for probably... 20 seconds to a minute, depending on whose definition you're using. And then during the rest of the time that you're working out and you're in that period, it's a less intense rest period. So it might be you are skipping rope as quickly as you can for 20 seconds and then maybe jumping jacks or something calmer for the rest of that period. I think the example that we talked about earlier was a boxing class that uses hit principles. Sounds nuts to me. Yeah. Why does that sound nuts to you? Well, just because boxing training to me already feels like it's the interval training anyway. You're jumping rope, you're like sparring, you're doing things that are pretty high intensity. Mm -hmm. So this is like even more intensity? 
he breaks into your boxing for a full hour, I think would probably kill me. And that's why a lot of people gravitate towards it because they feel like they've been doing all of this stuff for this brief period of time. Okay, I've gotten a great workout. And because I was sweating, because it was really hard, there's obviously going to be more benefits to this than something else that I could be doing. You know, you're not going to be having that reaction to just a basic yoga flow or something like that. One of the original benefits, at least as they sort of touted it when HIT became a thing, maybe like 10 years ago, was that you didn't need to work out for a full hour. You know, there's a study that I think it was 45 minutes of steady state cardio was the equivalent of 10 minutes of HIT Mm -hmm. training or Tabata where you just do 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. Wait, what's Tabata? It's just the same thing, interval training, but it's usually 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest. It's shorter, shorter periods and typically more intense work. So that study is something that we talk about a lot when we cover HIT because that's pretty established and that's established in other exercise science as well. Now, the one thing that people don't understand about HIT, and especially the people who are going to four classes a week to do that type of workout, is that your body can really only handle that type of intense activity and be at its peak level performance probably twice a week, depending on who Uh you are, with the proper recovery. So what is the proper recovery? Because I remember for me when I switched from going like three days a week to five days a week, and I came home and sat on the couch and iced my knees every day and then finally like a month in I feel like my body got used to it I don't know if this is medically what happened but I didn't I didn't hurt as much when I came home and I was fine but is there a smart way for somebody to get into this if they haven't tried it that's safe so it depends on the workout so if you're just using hit principles probably twice a week with a day in between would probably be smart and you know it varies from person to person why does it have to be so short It's the rest periods and it's the way that your body reacts to the activity. So what research has found is that when you're exercising, this pertains specifically to weight training and resistance training, shorter rest periods are key to inducing hypertrophy, which is the cellular process that builds muscle. And so you do these shorter rest periods, you get a different result. If you wait longer you'll be initiating different processes cellularly. Okay. You shouldn't always feel completely great exercising. You know, you should push yourself to a certain point. But if it gets to a point where it's just like you don't feel safe, that's never good. Right. You're going to be sore too. Like soreness isn't bad necessarily, but, you know, it's just that point where it's way too much is where you really want to be careful. Right. At least building some recovery time. Well, thank you for coming by and talking to us about all of this. We'll probably have you on again at some point. Anytime. If you can squeeze us in between workouts. Yeah. It's time again for your favorite segment, Slack Line Facts. Slack Facts. Slack Facts. Slack Line Facts. This is my favorite fact that really? we've done, I oh have to say. Gosh. Of all of them? Well, of that, all of them. That makes sense because like, this episode's kind of fun. But there's been some good facts. I feel like this is a high bar. That's true. But these are fun. These okay. Are fun oh, facts. here we go. Okay. So you guys both obviously know what slacklining is. Yeah. Basically, should we like, say for people? Maybe we should. I think Let's we should. It. Let's say it. It's like the poor man's tightrope walking. <laughs> you Am I can't wrong? afford to tighten the rope. <laughs> what? <laughs> like it's not hard to sit up. You don't okay. have to like have expertise or anything. You okay. just need like two trees or you know whatever, and then you attach a slackline. And it's actually very hard. I don't have a lot of core strength, so I think I'm it's not super good hard. At it. So slacklining 
led me into other extreme sports because I was reading about slacklining and like for some people it's just not hard enough. So people do <laughs> yoga on slacklines. What? Which yoga is difficult for me like on firm ground. What? People do blindfolded slacklining. Last December an 18-year-old French kid set the record for longest blindfolded slacklining. He went almost 1,400 feet what? distance, also 1,400 feet up in the air, blindfolded. Why? Because it wasn't hard enough to begin People with. People are maniacs. What's wrong with them? Well, I wonder if somebody's base jumped off a slack line yet. Well, yes, actually, because I've seen a photo of the Grand Canyon where they made this like slack net thing oh, that looked man. like a spider's web. And they were all just like hanging out. And then somebody would be like, bye. And they would jump off of it. And I was like, n- n- no. So I have for you my favorite extreme sports. I'm interested to hear if any of you have heard of these because these are ones that I was not familiar with. First up is underwater ice hockey. So, you have a sheet of ice, and then you play under the ice, like upside down. So you you have floating pucks that float up, and so they're literally hitting the underside of the ice. And you dive. Each player dives like thirty seconds at a time to play, and then they go up to breathe because they don't have oxygen. Is it cold? Yes, because it's under like a frozen pond or whatever you can find. And they have to have rescuers on hand well, just in I case bet. someone passes out and needs to be saved. That is ridiculous. But this, like a real, this is a real Do you know how thing. big like, these things are? Like, how many people play underwater ice hockey? I think is there a league? <laughs> <laughs> there are, like, championships. This is all European. I was thinking Canadian. They'll do anything. Oh, yeah. I thought, like, upper Minnesota. It's not as big as a usual hockey rink. Like, I think it's very circumscribed, like, maybe 12 feet by Well, it better feet. be. How are you going to get to the middle? Yeah. Yeah. So that's number one. <laughs> Number two, bossa ball. Nope. This one's like trampoline volleyball. So it, it looks like a sort of inflatable, like bouncy castle type thing, but you are bouncing while playing volleyball. That sounds phenomenal. So Can I want to like, do that gymnast- right like, now. People get very intense about it, though. They like, you know, do flips and like hit it back with their feet and like all this stuff. But that one actually sounds fun. That's to some me. kangaroo yeah. noise there. Yeah. Equestrian vaulting, which is basically gymnastics, but on a moving horse. Wait, is it jumping or they... The horse... So the video I watched, (laughs) (laughs) there's a trainer in the middle of the ring and there's a horse. I'm doing a lot of gesticulating right now, which is not helpful for anyone listening to this. It's very solar system-y. Yeah. So there's just one lady who's basically keeping the horse calm on a lead rope in a circle around her. And then there's just a gymnast who's like hopping on the horse and like doing some tricks while the horse is still trotting in a circle and then hopping off. What? Skyacking. I bet you can guess what that is. In a kayak. Skydiving you jump out of the plane in a kayak. Skyacking. So apparently because a kayak has like a bigger surface area, I guess you fall a little bit slower. And the idea is to land in water. Oh, but, that's a cool idea. Yeah. There was also a guy who was a sky surfer. He actually died making a Mountain Dew commercial. What a way to go. I know. That's probably like makes you a god in the extreme sports community, uh, you'd right? Think, yeah. You'd think. But you know his friends were like, he died getting paid to drink Mountain Dew on a surfboard, in the sky. In the sky. I mean, there's a lot lamer. You know, I fell in the bathroom. You can die of some really stupid stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, he just was old. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. How dumb. Yeah. yeah. Natural causes. <laughs> what a loser. Natural causes. <laughs> you know, it's not cool. The World Nettle Eating Championships. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> it's this town in the UK every it, year. I knew that was going to be in the UK. They do stinging nettle eating championships, and you eat as many nettles as you can in an hour. Here's the thing that gets me, though. The prize is a trophy and, like, 100 pounds, which is, like, maybe $200 if the exchange rate's good. 
Like, is that worth it? I mean, what happens to you if you eat stinging nettles? Your mouth goes numb because they sting you. Well, I mean, that's like those Szechuan peppercorns. Yeah, but would you eat like 96 feet of those? I wouldn't, but people are nuts. Evidently. I have three more. (laughs) Three more? Yes, please keep going. Please keep going. Chess boxing. Oh, I actually have heard of this one. Kevin, can you explain it? So it's like speed chess, but once you punch the clock because your turn's over, then you get in the ring and do a round of boxing, and then you sit back down and keep playing chess again. Yeah, that's kind of brilliant because, like, you need your brain. Yeah. You're ruining it. Yeah. Zorbing? Zorbing I've heard of. Okay. I haven't. What's Zorbing? You're in that ball. Mm -hmm. You're inside a ball. ball. You're in a hamster ball, and you, like, roll down a mountain, basically. And last but not least, extreme ironing. No. How? How? It's where people just go to really remote and dangerous places and then they iron. And (laughs) according to the Extreme Ironing Bureau, Extreme Ironing is, amazing that that's a thing, is, quote, the latest danger sport that combines the thrills of an extreme outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. Like, I don't even like ironing stationary in my own home. Maybe that's because you're not making it exciting enough for yourself. But also, does that stuff... Make it back perfectly pressed? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. And it's a scam. <laughs> it's about the irony. I think this is an ir- ironic sport. The ir- Ooh, nice wordplay there. Jackie. Hey. <laughs> and those are slack facts. And that's been slack facts. Slack facts. So I can't even really say the X Games are coming up because they're not coming up quite yet. They're coming up July 19th through 22nd. But That's what coming up means. Well, <laughs> they're not I feel like usually, usually we're like, oh, it's like this weekend. But I feel like we would be remiss given that it's, it's going to be within about a month. Don't check your local listings. Yet. And yeah, yeah, don't check your local listings yet. But it's going to be within about a month. And this is our extreme sports episode. So I spent the last probably hour giggling at your desk giggling at my desk what was the name i was giggling about mcnarls mcnarls there's a person that was a gnarly move they were like that was a gnarly move and we're not surprised that's why they call him mcnarls (laughs) that is his nickname not his real name that is a person's nickname he might have changed it legally who knows so i've been watching basically youtube videos of all the different events because i mean you know you don't know what the events are i hope we can live up to that elevated commentary on the x games oh i think we can Okay, so first of all, I like looked up what all the events are. The X Games are in Minneapolis this summer. They have several throughout the year. They're in Minneapolis this summer, July 19th through 22nd. General admission starts at $20, which is That's pretty nice. cheap. It's yeah. not, you know, like, go. These guys are serious athletes. So they have three disciplines, basically, which is skateboard, BMX, and motocross. That's for the summer. In the winter, obviously, they have different things. And each one, like, they have so many subcategories that it is bonkers. <laughs> Before I get into any of the standard ones, one of the BMX ones is just called Dave Mira's Park Best Trick. It was added in 2016, which was the year he died. It was named after him in his memory because he was a you know a best big BMX like his he, Best trick was his thing. He was really good at it. Gotcha. So you're like riding around in a park basically showing off your best trick. So the one with the most standard slate of items is skateboard, which has big air, park, street, and vert. So big air is it's a monster ramp. 
that you Just one huge ramp. It's well, it's weird. It's like you go down it and you leap off and then you end up in a half pipe. So there's like a first trick you do during the initial leap and Wait, then you're into in, a half pipe? into a half pipe and then you have to do another trick on the other side of the half pipe and then come back down. It is nuts. Oh, looking. I think this is the one where the guy's shoes flew off. I can kind of picture this now. <laughs> really? I think it is. We were talking about this earlier. I was saying my one strong memory of the X Games is that I remember in college watching one YouTube video over and over, and YouTube must have been pretty new, because a guy did this thing, but he came off the half pipe and he slammed into the ground so hard his shoes flew off. <laughs> that is rough. Yeah, some of these injuries on here, you see guys like just like limping, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. For skateboard and BMX, there's Big Air, Park, Street, and Vert. Those are all very standard Park is a bully park thing. Street is stairs and railings. What kind of park? Imagine like a bunch of cement bowls that are all oh, attached. Okay. Oh, okay. Like a lumpy gotcha. bowl land. Where you would see kids skating now. Yes, skate yes. Park from the, okay. But the railings and stairs and stuff, that's street. Okay. And that's the same for both skateboard and BMX. And then vert is a half pipe. And then when you get to BMX, you have the addition of Dave Muir's Park Best Trick and also Dirt, which is self-explanatory and it makes sense why there's no skateboard dirt because that (laughs) that would not work and then you get into motocross motocross is bonkers (laughs) like i think motocross is the craziest stuff that you can possibly see first of all there's a best trick there's also something called best whip a whip is i was trying to describe it as a bike jump leapy thing where your bike whips out to the side you've seen this like when they do the cool and they like leap off a thing so it makes sense why they call that a whip so they stay in the middle. The bike kicks out to the side. They can turn themselves sideways. They can do any sort of thing. But, yeah, the bike goes out to the side, okay. and they get up really high. Uh, there's also something called a scrub, but that's when you go low and try to go fast. But that is not an event. So okay. let's forget I ever said anything <laughs> about that. Best Whip is pretty cool. I like that one. There's also Harley-Davidson flat track racing, which is basically dirt NASCAR with motorcycles, which is bonkers. <laughs> Wait, is it on Harley's or Harley's sponsors I, it? I think Harley sponsors it because, seems, yeah. I mean, maybe they make dirt bikes. But yeah, I was going to say they don't, seem, no, they don't associate they them with do. flat track dirt racing. Yeah. There is freestyle, which is doing the coolest tricks, but during a course rather than just doing like one leapy trick. There's quarter pipe high air, which quarter pipe high air is like kind of meh. Uh, it's like, no offense if you do it. If you do it and you want to call in and explain why it's awesome, please do. I hope none of our listeners actually like the X Games because we're just... No, come like, on. I'm being accurate here. I believe you're being accurate, but the fact that we're reading our X Games descriptions off a notebook... I, I am reading of, these off a notebook. ...kind of gets away from what myself. X Games people are really into. I know. Stream podcasting. I did jump out of a plane last week. I That's true. You're qualified more than Peter uh-huh. or I. So the quarter pipe high air, you go off a ramp and then you land on like a dirt thing that's next to the ramp. So you can make like a half moon kind of thing all in one plane. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like the way a skateboarder goes off and gets back on Mm -hmm. to the ramp. And then the step up. So the step up is cool. It's high jump for dirt bikes. And they That's cool. Like, I like this. It was kind of great. Like the big air, I really like big air in all of them. And in then this in, in life, yeah. big air is my jam. And then also step up in the motocross because, yo, know, that's cool. And best whip was cool too. The step up like literally is like it a literally bar that you is ra- a that bar. they raise, right? Okay, I remember watching this. Yeah, this it one's is a bar really cool. and like by like the a end pole vault bar that it's they a, clear? Yeah. On wow. a motorcycle. And they go up so, like, they basically go vertical forever. I think one of them was, like, 47 feet or something. And that's, like, off the top of this giant ramp. And they don't have that far to get up the speed either. And they just, like, leap up it and clear the bar all sideways. And it's then cool. they land on the other side of the They ramp. land on the other side on their bike all perfectly normal, like, wow. jumping up and down. Yeah. These people are nuts. Yeah. The X Games are on ESPN July 19th through 22nd. Nice. Watch them. Aloha, Jackie. Aloha, Kevin. 
<laughs> Aloha, Mr. George. Aloha, Alex George. So this segment is called Getting Started in Surfing, and we have three different levels of surfers in here. Alex is, I would say, an expert, right? You know what you're doing. I've been doing it for a while, yeah. Yeah, and then I'm very intermediate, and I am learning what I'm doing. And then, Kevin, how many times have you gone? I think I've gone maybe three times. I went to a wedding of somebody who has a varsity letter in surfing, and that was my last surfing experience. What? From where? He grew up in San Diego. Oh, there you go. But it was one of these things where like, I knew that surfing was going to happen at like the bachelor party, (laughs) and it did, and it was just... So humiliating, but I mean, it's fun. I I like it. Right. So we did a Getting Started in Surfing package in the magazine, and I thought we would all kind of talk about it in here. So I read Barbarian Days last year. Oh, I want to read that so bad. Surf stuff now. It's by William Finnegan. He says at one point, if you didn't start when you were 14, you'll never get good. Oh, man. I see what he's talking about. What he means is it's a very hard thing to get good at if you do it kind of as a weekend warrior. Like anybody who's really good at golf just plays like a crazy amount of it and just keeps playing, keeps playing, keeps playing. 10,000 hours kind of thing. And one of the only ways you can really do that is to be a kid and not have a job more or less. I think that's what to Or have a summer job or, you know, be afraid And you're like less that. afraid and you learn stuff easier yeah, when you're young, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that last time I went at that wedding, I was in my mid-20s and I think my risk aversion is much different now. <laughs> yeah. And center of gravity, too, helps. Like, yeah. you see little kids who are skiing. Well, I got that on my side. Fly down the mountain. 5'2", in case y'all haven't seen me. I'm 5'2", and I, I got a booty. So, so. You, yeah, lower, lower center of gravity <laughs> yeah. with that to your advantage. And you used to give lessons. I did, yeah. That was my summer oh, job I didn't for a know while. that. Yeah. What do you do at a surf lesson? It depends on, obviously, the level of the person you're dealing with. But So if I'm starting from zero, I've got somebody like a... I had a woman who was, I think, 74 when I gave her a lesson. Well, and then the youngest I had was 74. a four-year-old. Yeah, she was awesome. really what an awesome 74-year-old. I know. I want to be that yeah. 74-year-old so yeah. bad. That's why it's worth picking up and learning because like, you can do it into really old age and you can have it do gentle waves and just get a whole lot out of it. So when I'm starting from zero, the major part is more so than experience surfing is kind of experience swimming in open water. So how well you stroke and how likely you might be to panic if you're kind of held down in the water or something like that. But if that's usually okay, the first mechanic and the most difficult one that people have is uh, the pop-up. Mm-hmm. So that's where you go from being prone with your sternum on the board to being on your feet. And it has to happen really quickly. And it's this muscle memory kind of action that takes a lot of work to get really good at. And the main point for that one is like whenever I give lessons, you'd see people do is they like baby giraffe to their feet, like get mm-hmm. their butt up in the air and then kind of try and swing their or like torso a knee up. Thing. I had a knee issue for a Yeah. While. Or like go to their knees first before going up there. And the whole idea is to just stay low and like get your feet underneath you and just have as little movement as possible on it and just kind of very swiftly. If you watch a pro do it in slow motion, it's this really beautiful thing where they kind of swing their legs underneath them. Is it kind of like kicking your feet up to your hands in yoga? Yeah. And it's better to do it slowly and you know your body feels planted as opposed to trying to just get in position and be up on the wave as soon as possible so that takes a little bit of work but i mean the major part of it is 99 percent of it is just paddling around in the water and so getting to really learn how to stroke efficiently and get into position and learn how to watch the waves and that last part is the one that's really tough to teach that comes mostly from experience is learning if a swell is kind of rising up in a certain way where you should position yourself to be in the right spot to take off and just getting out to where you're supposed to paddle like where it's just super hard yeah so can we talk about the Costco Wavestorm? Yeah. Because we covered it in the article. Obviously, if you go out your first lesson, your rash guard or wetsuit is included, your board is included, you know, just go ahead and do that because it's such a smart idea. It's a lot easier than, as Kevin 
And I have yeah. both experienced right. going out on your own. But if you're going to buy your own board, we recommended the Agit Stormblade and we recommended the Costco Windstorm, right. both of which are cheap, both of which are big, and both of which are foam, soft. Can one of you guys explain why, like, the huge giant boards are the easier ones to ride? I always thought that was interesting. I just didn't expect that. Part of the idea is that when you're paddling to catch the wave, you don't have to match the speed, but you got to get kind of close to it. And bigger ones, this kind of gets into the geeky science of water displacement, how much float it has, you know, how much surface area it has on the water, how the water moves underneath it to give you more speed. Generally, they're faster to paddle. It takes a little bit of momentum to get going. And just because they have more float, it's easier to catch a wave. On a really short board, you have to be in exactly the right place to get enough speed to actually get in front of it. But the bigger boards, generally, you can paddle them faster. That's why when, if you ever see like videos or photos of guys riding really, really huge waves, they're not towing into them. They're on these, they're called guns, elephant guns <laughs> is where the name came from. Guayama Bay or Mavericks. And, Which you should not California. be serving if you are yeah. learning. <laughs> a bigger board is, it's easier to get going faster. But every lesson I ever guy, especially with kids where the boards are so big and unruly and you're getting thrashed all over and it's dragging you back into shore, you know, they want the smaller board just because they look cool too. But yeah, when you're first starting out, do a big board. Roy talked about like carpenter blaming his tools kind of a thing. Look for, there's a pro surfer named Jamie O'Brien who grew up on the North Shore Surfing Pipeline. He takes that Costco Wavestorm, this $300 board. It's $150. $150 foam so board cheap. from Costco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just goes and rides back, pulls into pipeline and gets like overhead barrels and just does really gnarly stuff with it. I think I read once, maybe saw a documentary of Kelly Slater surfing on a front door. Oh, a front um, door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some video going there, and of a guy riding a, a folding table that was turned upside down <laughs> on like a boat wake. Yeah. Anything that'll float, you can probably ride it out there. Can we talk about kook shaming? Kook shaming? Surfers who are good at surfing, you got to share the waves with everybody. And they're like, when there's newcomers, if you're in the way, if you don't know what you're doing, then they're like, oh, kook. You know, I mean, with some expletives sometimes around it. Yeah. Kook is just this derogatory term for, it's hard to explain. It's a beginner, but specifically a beginner who is kind of um, oblivious to their own ineptitude. And the reason that is kind of a thing in surfing, you know, they break out in fights sometimes is because it can be either dangerous or and it's just the idea that unlike a ski hill or other activity, it's a limited resource and it's one guy per wave and people get proprietary about it. This is another thing that comes up a lot is people are worried about committing some faux pas that will get them shamed out of the water or beat up like we were talking about. Yeah. And, you know, read up on the etiquette and how to do all this. It's all in the magazine. There's an awesome diagram of that. But if you genuinely want to not be a bother and like are trying to do things that way or you say sorry if you screw up or whatever, you'll be fine. People are forgiving of that. Yeah. Happy surfing, El. Aloha. Aloha. For today's testing table, we have our outgoing, I guess, like sports and stuff and awesomeness editor, Matt Allen, who is leaving us to go to, it's called like the Hearst Enthusiast Group. That's right. Yeah. So what is that? Runner's World and... Bicycling Magazine. Bicycling too. Magazine. Mm-hmm. So you have been at Popular Mechanics for a couple years now mm-hmm. and do sorts of things that Bicycling Magazine and Runner's World would find interesting. So for this testing table, this is our extreme sports episode, as you know. What extreme sport did you do? I recently ran the Bear Mountain Endurance Challenge put on by North Face. I did a 50K trail race. Whoa, uh, that's far. It's far, and it was really rocky. 50K, how many miles is that? It's 31 miles, so it's a marathon plus five more miles. Ugh. Then add to the fact that there was about 5,000 feet of climbing throughout the course. So first question, why? I like to spend the afternoon in the woods. I don't know. That's what I told myself. <laughs> I like endurance challenges. Okay. Uh, I like marathons. Uh, I ran New York last fall. I was looking for something a little different. Uh, A friend at North Face suggested I check this race out. Okay. And does it suck? 
Like, how do you feel in the middle of one of those things? Overall, like during and after, I felt way better. It's relative, right? Than a normal marathon. Really? Yeah, because you're going a lot slower. Because again, you're just going to be out there all day. Uh-huh. So you're just you're chilling. You're going on at a nice, comfortable pace. When you get to an uphill, you walk. Oh, okay. And then at least the pace I was going, like roughly every 50 to 60 minutes, I'd come to an A station, I'd refill my water bottles, I'd eat some salty potatoes and some candy and whatever else they had there, in addition to the food I was packing on me. We had beautiful weather. You're going up these nice ridge lines in upstate New York through these bucolic fields and there's lovely ponds. That sounds pretty nice, it actually. It is pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. It's like, just like a really fast hike. How long did it take you? It took me six and a half hours. Okay. Wow. That sounds like a long day. Mm, yeah, it was pretty fun, though. Yeah. So what did you try out for it? So I tried out some running gear that's designed to be both very comfortable, but also some of it was pretty functional too. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to be running six and a half hours through the woods to enjoy it. Because most people don't do that. No, you don't need to do that. I probably won't do that again for quite some time. (laughs) But I, through all the training, you know, I was always testing out gear, like what I want to try on race day, because you never want to wear anything new on race day. So I have a few favorite pieces of gear from that. Okay. First, the most important thing, my shorts. That's the most important thing, really? Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, if you're going to get uncomfortable somewhere, it's going to be your shorts. Okay. So I use shorts from the North Face called the Flight Better Than Naked Long Haul Shorts. And so, <laughs> I imagine in the wood it is better than naked. Yeah. There's a lot of sticks. These shorts have a pretty long boxer brief liner on the inside, and then there's a yoga waistband, which I don't care if you do yoga or not, is always more comfortable. But then on top of the waistband, there is sort of a mesh pocket that runs around, so you can stash like gels and for sure to run keys and stuff like that. And so it's been really good for like even just long training runs, throw a cliff bar in there, a few other things to eat. So I kept my hydration tablets, like electrolyte tablets, in there. Okay. And how much are these shorts? These are $65. And if you buy one nice pair of shorts, get these. Okay, cool. And also, because you have to carry so much food and water with you, I use the Ultimate Direction Ultra Vest 4.0. So it's like a small 10-liter backpack, and then it fits two soft water bottles on the front, and then there's a lot of little pockets. So in addition to a liter's worth of water, I was carrying three Cliff Bars, two peanut butter and honey sandwiches, and just in case things got really dark, a slice of pizza. No way. Where did you put the slice of pizza? In the backpack. When you do a run like this, is there like a reward at the end? Do they have bagels and stuff like when you do a normal race? Oh, yeah. We get like a full lunch. There's a big buffet with like salmon and pastas and stuff oh, like that. that. And then a Sierra Nevada beer garden. It was quite pleasant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How much is this, the Ultimate Direction Ultra Vest? How much uh, is that? It's 130 Also, like if you want like a really light, fast hiking backpack for just carrying some bare essentials, you can also fit a hydration bladder in it. Like a day pack kind of thing. Yeah, it's sort of like if you just need like water and maybe a rain jacket. Okay, cool. What else? Anything? Yeah, yeah. The Garmin Forerunner 235 GPS watch. Okay. What I really like about that is it has built-in heart rate into the wrist, so you don't have to wear a chest strap if you want to monitor your heart rate. This was really useful for me because I knew I was going to be out there a long time and I didn't want to like crash early. I could watch my heart rate when we were hiking uphill because I'm pretty good with feeling up my running pace, but when you're just hiking up the side of a ridge line. Right, you don't know. Yeah, and so I keep my heart rate within like at least my threshold where I wasn't trying to burn more oxygen than I could. Right. How do you train for something like this? Do you just go to the mountains every ideally, weekend? Ideally, I would Yeah. because I didn't have that much time. You know, we're in Manhattan here, so I would go to the north end of Central Park, which has what's called the Harlem Hill. Sort of a bump by most standards. Yeah. But I would run up and down it that. It can be gnarly on a bike though. I've done that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, not for you, That's probably. Right. <laughs> uh, but then also one block away from Central Park is Morningside Park, which is just like a mile-long park on a hillside. And so one workout was just two hours of going up and down all of the hills the entire okay. time. I'd like walk some, I'd run some. Okay. This explains why you eat a cookie for lunch every day. I'm always like, how's Matt Allen pulling this off? And I yeah. think I've discovered the answer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, so Garmin Forerunner GPS watch, how much is that? 
the 235 is 250 and a shout out to its accuracy because i was just like woods middle of nowhere and it was almost precisely on for the distance i think it said 30.9 instead of 31 miles wow but, you know that could have been well, the you were cutting too. corners if i could have i would have maybe i mean it was a <laughs> long day it was a long day jackie one more shout out i was wearing just like a cool tech feature is for anyone that's worn gore-tex running shoes knows that for a long time they sort of been like very stiff until now. There's a new, basically, Gore-Tex upper called Gore-Tex Invisible Fit, and I was using it in a pair of shoes called the Saucony Ride 10 GTX. And having run in previous Gore-Tex shoes, just like through the winter and running in slushy stuff, this was great. Gore-Tex sent me the new pair with the Invisible Fit and a pair that just didn't have it at all. I could not tell the difference. Wow. And so I wore those for the race, and so whenever I was going through, like, you know, mud and thin puddles, I can just go right through. How much are these ones? They're 140 but they're on sale right now. So yeah, that's the Saucony Ride 10 GTX. But just look for running shoes with the Gore-Tex invisible fit. Cool. And, well, I guess obviously you would buy any of these things, so that's Mm -hmm. the pretty easy way to figure that out. Yeah, this is all great stuff. It'll last a very long time. You'll be very comfortable. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.